Hey everybody, welcome to Millman Podcast. Today we have Aaron with us, who is founder of Relatable, which helps other brands to with their influencer marketing practices. But that's not all. Uh, I was on his LinkedIn and I saw that he has a very interesting career path. He worked at Spotify for five years, then he was at King Games, um, the company behind Candy Crush. So I am sure we have some very juicy stories coming up for everybody today. Hey Aaron, welcome so. to Millman Podcast. Thank you. Aaron, to start with, why don't you tell uh, us uh, just in a minute or two, very short thing, very short version of who are you? What do you do these days? So, um, as you uh, mentioned, I have a background that you know, I I started my career in sales, but I very trans, very, very quickly realized that what I really wanted to do was marketing and various forms of of marketing. So when you look at my career at King and Spotify, and now in in the most recent five years at Relatable, I I focus on, I, I like to make things. So I like to make things and I like to, um, you know, my brain likes uh, the idea of innovation and creativity. So so I, I, I come up with solutions to, to problems and I help people, but within the kind of lens and perspective of, um, of marketing and growth. Um, so at Relatable, we run an influencer marketing agency. It's um, a little bit different than a traditional agency. We rely heavily on technology and uh, building you know, scalable processes so that we can turn influencer marketing into a scalable media channel. And what I mean by that is, you know, a, a you know, there, there are companies that spend tens of millions of dollars on advertising. It's quite common if you're a, you know, big consumer brand, it's very hard to move that money to people and to um, creators or, or influencers. Um, so we help, you know, with the use of technology and, and our expertise, we help make that happen. And within that company, which I have founded and co-founded, I lead our marketing efforts. So I help both our company with our marketing and I also, of course, help some of our clients. To start with, I'm very curious, how does a marketing company market themselves? The, and I think it's fascinating that, um, so most, when most people think of marketing, they think of business to consumer, right? It's, it's um, advertising consumer products. And we all know what that looks like in, in various shapes mm -hmm. or forms because we are all consumers but people that work with uh, at at companies they also buy services and products they are also individuals but they represent the company and you know people call that b2b marketing so when we do our marketing it's it's business to business marketing which um, you know my job at relatable is to market relatable as an agency to companies that need help with our services. And I think it's fascinating for two reasons. The first one is you don't need the scale. Okay. I, that's, that's if you are a company like Coca-Cola, you need to get in front of a billion people. That's mm -hmm. like your job if you're in the advertising or marketing department. I only need to get in front of a handful of people. Um, and okay. one of them might be a million dollar client. Whereas, you know, Coca-Cola will have to sell a lot, sell a lot of one dollar, you know, Coke cans, um, to to create you know multi billion dollar you know, business. So the fascinating part with B two B is 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 that you can do it. Uh, you you can get some really good results um, okay. quite fast at low scale. Um, 
and so that's that's one of the things we do you also asked what what like what we actually do um yeah. so what kind of channels do you uh use? yeah uh email um okay. is a important channel i'm i i'm of the belief that when you do marketing you should find a single channel that you are you know more likely to to succeed with than others and then double down on that channel so um it has worked really well for us i've seen it work for other people as well like take for instance uh tesla what is tesla's marketing channel pr news pr Maybe. right it's as a matter of fact it's the only car automotive company that does not advertise so but they're really good at marketing right they, they, they only do one thing to do pr and more specifically it's elon musk doing yes. like weird things right <laughs> so so similar in that regard we're not that good at pr we are really good at email um i also do um but but then when you think of email what i actually do with email is content right okay. so um I create content, I create goodwill, I share insights and knowledge, and then we use email as a decision channel for for that content. So that's that's one way we're doing it. I've also written a book um, oh, wow. that I've um, that have been published with, and that has also helped with. I mean, it's just another form of content when you think about it. It's yep. the uh, content in form of a written, published, you know, long long form text. So. Yes. Those are a couple of couple of things that we do. Brilliant, brilliant. So, Aaron, if you have to remind a little bit and start maybe from one of those uh, moments in your career which changed the trajectory of your career, uh, could you just help us relive those uh, few years in your career? Oh, maybe interesting. King or Spotify. Yeah, yeah. I I work with sales. Right. So the first yeah. thing I do when I get out of uh, school, which I've, I failed my way through school, and then I got out and I'm like, okay, um, I was really into sales. So I, I liked okay. the idea of, of getting really good at um, you know, under, understanding what people want and then figure out how to help them. And then there's the, like the psychological persuasion. Like I've always been fascinated by that. And, and, and the idea of like, if I can figure out what a problem somebody has and offer a way to solve it, that's that's you know good and and then the psychology kind of aspect uh, of it as well so i i did that and i was pretty good at that and it led me to an opportunity to teach others right so i work with sales management and sales training and sales coaching i took a year off uh, and traveled with my now wife then girlfriend and in that time Instead of working with you know sales, I built websites. So, so we backpacked, like traveled the world for for a year. I worked from my. I think I'd probably read like four hour work week the year before, and I oh, wow. I'm not sure if you you've read it, but but the Tim Ferriss. Book, I'm reading it right now. Uh, I I probably read that like the year before and said. I'm also going to travel around and just work four hours per week. So I I, I am I. I did that for about a year, um, okay. and and I had some money saved up and 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 such. But then at the end of that trip, like ten month in, I started to make enough money um, huh. from my you know website affiliate marketing advertising efforts, <laughs> so that I could support. 
I basically slowed down our burn rate of our personal light money with instead of, I basically slowed it down every month to a point where I Got broke it. even. Um, so, so, so then when, I, when we were gonna c come back home where we lived at the time in Sweden, I live in Los Angeles now, um, I realized that I didn't wanna go back and do sales. I wanna do, I wanna work with the internet and I wanna do things on the internet. I didn't wanna do it on my own. Uh, okay. I no longer wanted to work four hours per week. I wanted to work, um, <laughs> I wanted to work 40 hours per week at a real company. Um, so I applied for a whole bunch of jobs that I was not qualified for because I had no like actual either education or experience. One of those companies was King. And I applied for, and I got a job at King heading up their advertising operations. So okay. at the time King was doing gaming, but they also had a small, like part of that business, like 25% of the business was advertising. So to, you know, display ads to people that play games. And we would sell those advertising spots, videos and in different integrations to, uh, to advertisers. So I, okay. I, I, I worked there um, and um, at the time, I, I'll just point out because it's it's a little bit funny that King was a hundred person company. Okay. It was profitable. It was a moderate success, but it wasn't growing. It was like over the two years I was there, it was like very little happened. Okay. The, the, it was it, it was but again like it was a hundred person profitable business. They were not doing mobile gaming or Facebook gaming. It was like desktop and on king.com um, okay. at the time. And, uh, and a lot of people, a lot of early investors, a lot of employees, I think, they saw the success of game companies like Zynga, if you remember, mm -hmm. yes, uh, yes. Farmville and, and such, uh, and, and, and the mobile gaming revolution with... Um, uh, what's the other one uh, big at the time? Angry Birds, probably, you know? Yes. Uh, yes. They saw that and like, well, we missed all this. Um, we missed this entire opportunity of both mobile and Facebook gaming. Um, and I think I probably thought the same thing at the time. I can't really remember, but I probably thought like, okay, this is a great place to work, but it's it's not going to okay. lead me anywhere interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> So I... I left, I left my uh, role at uh, King, and then, like immediately after I left, the company became wildly successful. Right? They, oh, wow. they, <laughs> they grew, they grew their revenue and the valuation of the company a hundred x. Right? It, it was oh, probably wow. like a fifty million dollar company at the time. Um, they went public. They were taken off, you know, the public listing and were pr privately acquired for. And I think it was like $6 billion. So I'm like, wow, that's, <laughs> um, wow. that taught me something. It, it taught me that, um, you know, things like that do, do happen. And it also taught okay. me that um, the, <laughs> the, um, there were a lot of people that stayed there um, that were patient and that, you know, they, they were there, you know, long-term that made a lot of money and, and, and got to come along for that journey. So, uh, but I, I, I don't regret it um, because I had the opportunity at the time to go to another interesting company at the time. There were also like uh, 100 people, 200 people maybe. And that company was Spotify. I was brought to Spotify because 
I owe all this to one person. That person is Alex Nordstrom, who is my you know dear friend and also at the time was my uh, boss at uh, King. He was the person that hired me. Okay. That he went to Spotify and then I was his first hire, or one of the like first couple of people. So, so he was tasked to head up growth at uh, Spotify. So he was hired as VP growth at 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 Spotify, and his goal was to build a growth team. Um, this was before the term growth hacker or the idea of having like a growth person uh, uh, existed. Um, okay but we modeled it off of uh, Facebook and uh, okay. Twitter and LinkedIn. So so I went to Spotify with the task of, uh, you know, there were a million paying subscribers and mm-hmm. our goal was to figure out how to get it to a hundred million uh, subscribers. Okay. Wow. <laughs> um, so I worked there for five years and by the time I left, um, it was like 40 million subscribers or something. Uh, and now wow. it's, over 100 so quite quite uh, successful so what i actually did at spotify was i led a lot of special projects so um okay. i was tasked with special a lot of special operations a lot of projects that were high risk or very high reward uh, but but with a lot of uncertainty a lot of moving parts and a lot of unknowns okay. uh, strategic partnerships with companies like uber integrations with uh, you know artists promote various new kinds of artist promotions um, building out platforms to uh, you know scale up communication to users things like that uh, this Spotify play button for instance uh, which is is now everywhere on the internet was something that my team and I built and launched uh, oh, wow. so so f- those kinds of, of things uh, to uh, to drive acquisition, to build brand, drive growth, to educate consumers, all those things. Um, and you were there for five years. I was there for five years, and um, at the end of that journey, um, the company had grown from two hundred to two thousand people. Um, wow. It was no longer the same business. I no longer had the same uh, kind of. I wanted to do something else, and I realized that. It was an opportunity to do something that I always wanted to do, which is to um, to venture out on my own and build um, my own company together oh, with really? other talented people. So we uh, we did that um, mm-hmm. five years ago. So it's oh. now been five years. Spotify. It's now been another five years. Man, ten years <laughs> just flew by. Uh, <laughs> so that that's. Um, and and a lot of i mean of course you talk about trajectory and kind of one thing leading to another i sometimes think like if i would have stayed at king 10 years ago mm-hmm. um for five years I, that would have been really interesting right i that would have been <laughs> fun um i yeah. would have made a lot of money uh i would have um uh, i had a lot of opportunities there i mean it was like a small company at the time and and and, uh, and such but i didn't do that I don't think you should regret things like that. You just recognize that uh, you never know where 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 yes. decisions will take you, right? So, yep. and and the same thing. Spotify is now again; it's ten times bigger if you look at like what the company since is worth since I left. <laughs> but um, 
Um, and that also would have made me a lot of money and like brought me along for an interesting journey with a lot of opportunities. But but I started, you know, our own business and and you know we've grown that. We did a million dollars in revenue our first year. It was entirely bootstrapped uh, with no external wow. funding. And and last year we did around ten million dollars in revenue, um, all bootstrapped with no funding. So oh, wow. so I, I I got to grow that company from 1 million or actually from zero to one zero. and then from one to 10. So that's interesting. Uh, and now I'm actually spending more and more time on our new venture, which is, is a company called Willa um, that will, uh, you know, in due course, take me, uh, you know, on another interesting journey, hopefully for the next five years. So how do you spell uh, it? Willa, it's W-I-L-L-A or Willa Pay. Um, it's and a payment, it's okay. a uh, startup, um, a app service that help freelancers and creators with uh, a large problem a lot of them are facing. Um, that is spending too much time and money and energy on chasing payments and doing admin work instead of doing the work that you actually love. So Willa is an app that you know, you get paid for work for clients as a freelancer with a press of a button so that you can stay in the zone wow. and uh, do what you, you know, what you wanted to do in the first place when you became a freelancer. So um, it's a fintech, um, fintech venture this time backed by external capital. I, um, I don't work uh, or, or I, I lead marketing uh, and okay. growth efforts at Willa, so um, that's so that's what. Few questions. Yeah. Okay. So, when you started relata relatable five years ago, uh, yeah. did you observe something in uh, you? Did you observe a trend towards influencer marketing? How? Why did you start something like this relatable while you were doing very different things at King and Spotify? What oh, yeah. really pushed you towards it? I think I've always. Uh, I've never stayed in one lane. Um, I've never like, I'm really good at marketing music services. So I'm going to do that. Or like, I'm really good at gaming or I'm, you know, I build affiliate websites. I, I've, um, I like to observe what's going on in the world at a, a larger scale and then figure out how to be a part of that. Um, and one of the, one of the things that I think the insights insight that I recognized was that it's so hard to try to like backtrack all the there's a million small things but but the big one was that our attention is shifting this seems yeah. rather obvious now five years later for myself and a lot of people but it wasn't at the time so um, there were no spot podcasts on Spotify uh, you know um, there there there's not even a company like that talked about things yes. in those terms. But I think the big insight was that people are becoming media companies. And, yes. and, and they're becoming media companies for two reasons. The first one is because of democracy. And what I mean by mm -hmm. democracy is that there are, aren't any tool, there aren't any restrictions or, or uh, bottlenecks anymore. Anyone can publish content to anyone at any time at very low cost and most most of the time for free. And 
And I mean, like, look at what we're doing. Like, I'm over in LA, you're in India. There's a roughly like 12 hour time difference. We're having this conversation. It will go out in written form and in podcast. We're also, you know, there's also video. Should we want to do that? I have a, like, you have a professional setup at home that costs very little. I have the same thing. Um, it's democratized. Like, we could right now, we could start a, we are, comp- we're producing content and we're competing with Netflix, right? When yes. somebody decides to listen to this, they're deciding to listen to this and not watch a, in a movie, right? So, so the, the idea of producing content is democratized and distributing it as well. Now, the second one is, so that's one of the insights. The other one is that attention is shifting, right? Mm-hmm. It's not only that, but it's also the fact that we now consume more and more content produced by other individuals, not by traditional media companies. So I thought, you know, if, if that happens, it only makes sense that the advertising dollars will follow. Right. If consumers shift their attention to over here, because we can look at history and we know that where eyeballs go, where our attention go, the advertising dollars always follows. Okay. That's <laughs> yes. where where you know, like the latest thing with Clubhouse, right? Uh, the, the the new uh, new new hot um, you know app. Uh, they're now talking. Brands are now trying to figure out how to get into. Uh, <laughs> get into and ruin arguably like ruin clubhouse with advertising right so so ad dollars always follows attention and and i thought but man it's really hard it's really hard for a company that spends a hundred million dollars on advertising they can't just move it to people they can't just give it to a podcaster like here's here's a you know five thousand dollars they need to allocate five hundred thousand dollars that the otherwise would have given to Facebook or to TV or radio or print or somewhere else. So I thought that that was an interesting macro shift and it was an interesting um, opportunity because it's a way to solve, you know, it's a way to help creators uh, and the people producing content. It's a way to help the brand. And there was an interesting like macro trend. I thought, you know, if if this is true, it will be relatively easy to build a company on the back of this like trend, and so, wow. so I, um, I I thought all those things, and then we made a decision to do it without any external funding uh, because I had wow. seen, I, I've seen the good and the bad of of you know external capital and venture funding. So I said, okay, you know let's let's take a shot at building a company with no external capital. Um, and see if we can turn it into a profitable business from day one or you know year one more likely. So I, um, I, uh, yeah, that was that was like the big big insight at the time. I think the insight and the trend was a thousand percent right, um, but I don't think it's th- there are op- other opportunities. Like we, we have a successful business, there are other opportunities that have. That were even bigger. So, so I um, I don't know. I I wouldn't do anything differently. But it's it's interesting that it's interesting that the world has more or less gone in exact that you know exactly that that direction. Absolutely, this is incredible. I mean, um, okay. So a couple of things. What kind of companies 
make the best use of influencer marketing are these mostly consumer companies like coca cola nike puma or even have you seen things happening so for example uh, say mailman if we have to start doing some sort of influencer marketing yeah again uh, again just thinking out loud software is one thing so your yeah. company is a software company that allows you to do influencer marketing at scale but can it help other software companies as well or it's mostly consumer um, companies like coca cola nike puma that makes the best use of it yeah uh i think the opportunity is there for both but there's a couple of couple of different challenges with business to uh, to business one is the scale uh i i've yet to seen someone I'm pretty sure, like, if you go in uh, and you find a podcast on productivity and uh, and you team up with the host of that podcast to have a segment where you talk um, or that person talks to another, you know, guest or, or maybe it's like two people or it's just, mm -hmm. just a solo show and they have a conversation about productivity and that like section is sponsored by mailman and there's an, an offer and an educational piece that's influence marketing um as a matter of fact um the reason i'm uh, the reason i'm using mailman is because of let's see that i uh get his name right so that I'm not misattributing it's it's because of Andrew Wilkinson the co-founder yes. of tiny capital yes I I use mailman because of him but I don't know him uh, okay. I follow him on the internet right so okay. isn't that influence marketing absolutely it may not absolutely. have been intended or maybe it is intended that way but if you can get 10 people like that to to um, you know, you give them the product, you can pay them as well, um, as long mm -hmm. as you're, you know, disclose that and, and you make them into your partners. I think that could work. Uh, the, the challenge is it's harder to pinpoint the right people that have the right audience and it's trickier to create appealing content and, and such, but, and it's certainly not for everyone, but I, I, I think one of the key, one of the key things when you do influence marketing, I tell our clients that you have to create like the advertising or the content, the advertising or marketing, it has to be relevant, it has to be engaging and it has to be entertaining. Okay. Like so, so if you can create engaging, entertaining and relevant content and you can pinpoint someone who has the audience that is your audience um, and, and you know what, goals you're optimizing for as you wanted to build the mailman brand or you wanted to acquire new you know paying customers and you set out to do that that's really no different than advertising on facebook i think the the the, the biggest challenge is like for instance with relatable if you told me that you wanted to reach women in the united states that are into wellness um that are in their early 30s and and uh, are, are also maybe we'll get more specific like they live in southern southern california Mm -hmm. And you said, I want to reach 10 million people. I could okay. do that with influence marketing. Um, if you said, I, I want to reach every single person that are into, you know, productivity that spends more than four hours per day doing email and, you know, this, 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 and that. And I want to give you a million dollars to, to help you like get in front of all those people. I wouldn't know how to, um, I mean, theory, I know how to do it. I think there's, there, there aren't any really good like ways of, 
of getting there. So it, it can work, but but I don't think it's as mature as 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 for consumers. By the way, there's a lot of consumer brands that should not do influence marketing too. Like, okay. I mean, it's it's <laughs> and mostly because of the content and the context. Like if if you have a if you aren't able to, I mean, there are certain companies that they don't want user-generated content. They don't want creators to represent their brand and, and so on. Um, like I found certain certain categories are trickier than others. For instance, like insurance companies and finance and 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 things like that. Um, uh, not medicine, but like pharma. Um, there, there are verticals that target consumers where the channel isn't necessarily the best um, use for them. And then there are others where it's a lot easier, like fashion and lifestyle and, and, and food sense. and makeup and those things. Um, Amazing. Okay, so coming back to your present, what does a typical day look like? Do you have a family? Do you have kids? Yeah. Um, so a typical day, and, and, and uh, I know we talked about this before we kick things off here. Uh, my typical days are, uh, they start very early. Um, uh, I, I used to hate people that made a thing out of like waking up at 5 a.m. in the morning under the disguise mm -hmm. of, of productivity, right? There's the whole movement of like, some people believe whether they're right or wrong, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know, others judge that that the hour of the day of which you wake up um, is correlated to your level of success, right? If you get up okay. at 5 a.m. in the morning, you will be more productive, you will be more successful, you'll be more happy, things like that. I don't think that's true, um, but uh, <laughs> but I do get up at 5 a.m. in the morning. Um, okay. And, and, it, it, and, and I, it's a recent thing. It started about three months ago when I moved back to, I've been away from Los Angeles for a while, I'm back here now. Um, I spent a lot of time in Sweden last year where I'm originally from. Okay. But um, I get up at five. I get up at five for two reasons. The first one is to have conversations like this with people that are in a different time zone. Uh, oh, so wow. a big part of my team is over in Europe and it's the only way, like if I get up at nine, they're off work. So, so I get up um, early. That's one of the reasons. It's very practical. The other one is that I have three kids. Okay. Um, so, and and they are. There's a newborn. He's five months. <laughs> there's a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. So, uh, thank you. So, so this is an opportunity for me to do three or four hours of focused work and get a head start on them. <laughs> because the second they get that they're upstairs now all asleep, the second they're downstairs, my productivity <laughs> falls from like zero, a hundred to zero real quick. Uh, um, so, um, so that's, that's my morning. I, um, uh, and, and it's currently in a situation, it's very temporarily, you know, in Los, Los Angeles, um, they do distance learning, right? So all the schools okay. are closed. They're not close. They they just do it remotely. But it's okay. it means that the kids are home all day. Um, so uh, so when you add that on top of it, it's only my real shot at like getting anything done is in the morning. I um, uh, it, it also something else happens when you uh, you spend that time. By eight or nine, I've done all my meetings. 
like we have conversations oh, wow. like this next after i have mm -hmm. two more meetings in the morning um so my my mornings are typically very meeting focused and heavy so okay. that i can free up the rest of the day for uh making things and solving problems and doing more focused work or or deep work as some call it um so i um, that's the other other reason and then my days end early i don't work until like you know, six or, or seven. I'm usually done by, I take a little break at nine. Uh, then I get back into it in the afternoon for a couple of hours, but I don't really have like, you know, set. Okay. I, I split Boundaries. up my days. I take a little break okay. and then I come back and I do another couple of hours of work after lunch. When do you fit in uh, your deep work? What time? Typically in the afternoon. If I don't have any meetings, the mornings are wonderful. Right? So, okay. um, um, if I can get up at five, um, I can spend four hours doing, I can, I can do creative work for clients, I can do thinking, I can work on, you know, analyzing data or exploring opportunities, uncover insights. Um, I can do things like that for like, I can block two hours between seven and 9 a.m. where I do that or five to, to seven. And no kids interrupting me. I work from home, so I have no colleagues that can interrupt me either. If I turn off my notifications on my phone and I know that there's nothing urgent, it's pretty just me uh, doing whatever I want for, for long periods of time. But usually it's like this. It's, it's you know, three or four meetings in the morning. Uh, and then the rest of my day is free. Fantastic. Okay. So now being somebody who is involved with a lot of marketing with all most of the clients, many clients, not most, you have to keep your creative juices flowing. Uh, what do you do on those days where you just do not have that creative juice or maybe you're just a little burned out, you need a little bit of rest? Uh, do you have any routine <laughs> or any system to put to put yourself in that creative zone again, at least to get something done for the day? So I think it's an interesting topic. We I believe that society nowadays, it's, it's built around, you know, the amount of value. I think it's, it's productivity and time management sometimes can be a false um, uh, um, premise. And I, what I mean by that is, you know, society doesn't value hard work, it values mm -hmm. the, the amount of value you create. So um, mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're compensated not for our, our um, uh, the hours we put in, but the value that we put out. Yeah. Right? So, um, and I have days where I put, you know, where I have very low output in terms of value. And I have days where I create a lot of valuable output because I, I manage to accomplish certain things. So, so I optimize for, for that. So if I know that if I'm tasked by solving a complex product problem or, you know, find an angle for a marketing campaign or, figure out how to leverage a certain distribution channel to accomplish a, mm -hmm. a certain business goal. Um, this could be business side of things too, right? If I need to hire someone to help me do a specific task or um, work with one of our clients, things like that. I'm compensated, what I mean compensated is, you know, that could be, you know, that could be how much you're paid. It could be the value of your business and so on. But, but, but I mean, it's correlated with the value. So, um, to me, I've found that if I'm not in the zone, like if I'm not set up to, um, if you can't just look at a complex problem and sit down and schedule 30 minutes to solve it, like uh, yes. um, 
there are other tasks you can sit down and just do in 30 minutes, but that's yep. not one of them, in, at least not for me. So what I need to do is I need to make sure that I'm in that zone. And if I'm not, um, I focus on other work. So, um, okay. um, I mean, I'll basically have, I group my tasks by small tasks. Um, okay. uh, you know, I, I group them by how much time it takes, like five minute tasks, 10 minute tasks. Um, then there's the 30 minute tasks. Uh, and then there's like the two hour task or whole day task. And so if I'm not in the, like, if I have a four hour task, that might be to write out like a creative strategy or, um, you know, come up with a plan of how to grow our company tenfold or, you know, um, things like that, right? Workshop to figure out, you know, the needs of a client. If I'm not in the right, if I don't have the right energy level and mindset and, and focus, I don't do that because that's four, oh. four hours are gonna be a waste of time and the output is not gonna be that valuable. It's going back to my oh. previous point. Um, other things I do, well, so, so I do the other kind of work, you know, I'll sit down and do things that doesn't require productivity uh, or, or, or um, um, that mindset of deep work. I'll uh, answer email or I'll um, check off, you know, um, I'll pay bills or I'll uh, follow up on, you know, conversations that are overdue, clear out my inbox, things like that. Um, uh, or I might just take a break. Like I break that state by focusing on other things. I'll go for walks play video games, uh, watch, you know, movies, uh, not to say that I recommend during that in a day and I typically don't, but my point is if you're not in the right mindset, you need to break that state. And that's typically accomplished by going and doing something completely different. Wow. You could work out for an hour or you could play video games for an hour. I found both to be very, uh, or go and play with my kids for an hour. Oh, wow. And then I come back and I typically I'll have a new angle. This is this is brilliant, uh, Aaron. Okay, so you touched upon something: five-minute task, ten-minute task, two-hour task. Do you have a tool that you use to manage all of these things, or you just use your calendar or something else? How do you really I, manage all of these things? A couple of things um, leading into um, to uh, productivity. My biggest challenge is distractions. I um, um, I get distracted very easily by things. Mm -hmm. So um, the first thing I've done to, to optimize for that is there are no notifications anywhere um, at oh, any wow. time. Um, uh, uh, this is where, you know, my, my plug for mailman comes in, which we'll, we'll get back <laughs> to in a minute, I think. But I've tried to set things up in a way where I can't be interrupted. Um, and I found that it's gotten worse. The more kids you have, the worse it gets. <laughs> so, so um, <laughs> I'm not only interrupted by, you know, between the two businesses, there's, uh, you know, roughly 60 people um, or 70 people. Um, and, and then there's three kids at home and, and my wife and my friends, uh, and I'm in different time zones. So there's a lot of things that can distract me. Um, when I wake up in the morning, if I check my phone, I have not looked at my phone since I woke up. If I do, it's game over. Right, because there are there's it's they're twelve hours ahead of me. There's fifty people twelve hours ahead of me, or not twelve nine hours ahead. Um, there's going to be a lot of stuff to distract me, so I can't look at that before I organize my day, and, and that means so, some of those right. So so I do that sometimes, but I try not to. 
That goes for personal messages, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, I could easily spend a whole day just following up on messages and notifications, right? So, so I, I try to, I do look at my phone, but there are no notifications, right? So, so, um, so that's one. Um, wow. The other thing I do is I've done the same for email uh, using both a combination of Superhuman, uh, which is a, a phenomenal product, I think, and uh, Mailman, uh, which is another essential, become an essential tool for me. Um, and the other thing is then there's Slack. Slack, all notifications are turned off unless I'm mentioned specifically okay. so that I can go and look at the information. I go to the information, the information doesn't go to me. Right? That's the way I've, I've set it up. Um, I'll spend an hour today going through messages and, and following up with people, but I can't have it interrupt me every five seconds because I'll get nothing done. So then when I have my own tasks, I have found that a to-do list is, um, it's a powerful tool, but it's, it's weak in a sense where the way we build to-do lists are, um, and I'm just thinking like if you're doing it on a piece of sure. paper with checkboxes, it's one thing per line. Right? Yes. But but there could be a big thing next to a small thing. Like yes. following up with Mohit, like if, if I were, were to follow up with you and write you back and that goes on my to-do list, that might be next to, you know, come up with a creative strategy for one of our key clients. So now I have this like 30 second thing right next to this four hour thing and you can't even prioritize. And it, it's, it's not fair to go like, well, you, how do you prioritize them? You, you don't because they're not the same thing. So what I've found to work for me is I take the big things and I group, I put them in one list. Okay. Uh, and, and then I have the small things like the five minute tasks and I put them in or the 30 second tasks and I put them in one list. And then there might be like the 30 minute task or the one hour tasks. Um, and then I know that um, if I have time in between you know, meetings or, or such, I can knock off the, the uh, 30 second things on my list and it's very clear what they are. And, and if I'm very distracting, I have a lot of things going on, I'll write down, you know, even the smallest, smallest thing possible, like write, reply to this specific email or uh, pay this specific bill or, um, you know, anything, anything that takes, uh, you know, 30 seconds. Some people are of the belief that if it takes less than a minute, just go ahead and do it. Um, that's distracting to me. I need that focus time. Uh, but I can knock off like 10 or 20 of those things in 20 minutes um, if I make time for it. And then I schedule the other thing, which is like the four hour or two hour, you know, work. Um, that might be something that I schedule on Monday afternoon. And then I'll block everything off in my calendar for Monday and I know that that's the only thing I'm gonna do. Um, there are not going to be anything else that gets in the way. Um, so that, that, that was very, that, that's a very helpful way of thinking about tasks because not all tasks are equal. Uh, equal. Uh, but when we build to-do lists, it seems that way. We have like 30 things we need to do and it feels very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But 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 18 of those things might be five minute tasks or you might have like 10 four hour tasks and you realize that <laughs> there's no possible way that you'll get that done this month. So you can just just take them off and 
or 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 reprioritize or, or remove them. So I've found that to be a, uh, a and then I can count them. And I can go, okay, I have two four-hour tasks and I have these ten one-hour tasks. So that adds up to forty hours. I can't get anything else done in the week if I aim to accomplish this. So I need to take something off. So that's that's kind of time time management, I guess. Um, I, I don't use a software for this. I use a pen and a paper. Um, uh, it's typically in the form of a, uh, I don't even have one here because it's a new notebook, but it's typically just a, a notebook uh, that sits next to me on my desk. Um, this is oh. this is this is brilliant. And for how many years or months you have been uh, doing this practice? Uh, this practice on and off for a couple of years. I mean, it's to what? me, I, I, it's to me, it's more about managing my energy and my stress and my my mind uh, than my time. So okay. I, I don't want to optimize to squeeze more hours out in the day. I want to make sure that I stay energized and I. Ha- you know, motivation and and um, and and drive and those things because that's where I do my best work. If I have um, if I have energy, if I have um, focus, if I have clarity, um, I can do brilliant things. If I become overwhelmed, I can spend the whole day accomplishing absolutely nothing, um, worrying about that. You know, overwhelm. <laughs> Enough about productivity. If you have to someday just kill time, like 15, 20 minutes to reset your mind or energy, do you have any websites that you go to just to kill time? Did I found that? <laughs> That's a good question. I'll go to YouTube and I'll watch okay. things. Um, I'll, uh, I'll browse Instagram um, and, and I'll pretend that it's work because uh, <laughs> like we, we uh, you know, millions of dollars in revenue off of influence marketing <laughs> on Instagram. So I can, I can go and browse Instagram for 20 minutes mindlessly pretending that I'm working. Um, or not pretend, but you know, like, I guess it's, it's, it's work mode either way because I'll see something interesting, but it doesn't feel like work. Same goes with YouTube. I'm fascinated by watching some of the most talented YouTubers in the world. I'll go and watch Casey Neistat videos or, oh, yes. um, you know, it's entertainment, but but then it kind of triggers that part of my 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 yeah. brain as well that inspires me. I'm like, wow, this is this is incredible. So I'll do that. Um, I'll go and play with my. Since now that we're home, it's kind of weird. Uh, if I need to, uh, if I need to put my mind off of work, uh, all I have to do is open the door <laughs> and go out <laughs> in the kitchen, and there's like uh, um, mayhem out there. Um, <laughs> And I'll go play with my kids. I go jump trampoline with my kids for fifteen minutes. I'll uh, I go play with my daughter. Um, I go help them with homework, stuff like that. That kind of helps me. Um, helps me in ways. And so this is uh, last formal question, which is a mandatory question. Um, so uh, if just magically somehow you got one additional hour every single day for the rest of your life, how would you spend it? Um, I thought about it. I, you sent that one. I think it's a brilliant question. Um, um, right now, I would spend it by myself doing absolutely nothing. Oh, um, wow. This is beautiful. And, 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 and what would I do? I would probably go, f- I would leave my phone at home and I would go for a walk down on the beach for an hour. Um, 
I'd like to say that I would like work out or spend more time with my kids or like get more sleep or something. But but honestly, if you said, and it happens sometimes where like I have a meeting and a meeting is canceled and I'm like, oh, um, what do I do now? Um, I would you know, I would like to do nothing, which I don't. <laughs> then I immediately jump into the next thing. But if I if I was just given that time I would spend it by myself doing nothing. I would probably be, bring a book down to the beach and I would sit there for an hour and just read and it would not be related to work. And and that would help me, you know, in various ways, I think, keep me. Beautiful, keep me, beautiful. Uh, yeah. Beautiful answer, Aaron. Okay, so if somebody wants to follow along your journey or wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach out to you? Plug anything and everything that you want. We'll put links to everything. Uh, LinkedIn is uh, the best place to connect. It's where I post and share content from time to time, where I have, uh, um, I'm there regularly. Um, okay. The You can hit me up in the LinkedIn inbox, which is horrible. Uh, so I most things get lost there. So you can also, my email address is on my LinkedIn okay. uh, profile. Um, Dude, I, I just want to mention since we're we're having a conversation that, and we haven't talked about mailman at all. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant tool. I, I I just wanted to to let you know that it's really making a difference. Um, so much better. It's it's tied to that idea that I I wish I could do the same thing with all notifications. Just have them delivered like at lunch and then in the afternoon. Um, so it's 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 one of those things where I think I've eliminated like eighty percent of my email of time I spent on email uh, by by using Mailman and Superhuman. So uh, I don't know if you've have you used Superhuman at oh, all? Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah. So uh, uh, Superhuman in combination with Mailman is is. And and every every single person I show me, I, I almost don't tell them that I use Mailman because I think they'll get upset that like their emails are not being delivered immediately. But every single person I show it to, they're like, "Whoa, how how, how do you? I need I need this. Um, this would change how I use email." So uh, thank you, thank you so good. much, Aaron, for uh, the kind words. Really means a lot to me. Uh, and everybody, this was Aaron Levin, founder and CEO of uh, Relatable.me. I'll put I, all the I, links. I need to. Uh, wait, I need to clarify that okay. I'm I'm the founder of both Willa and uh, I founded both Willa and Relatable. Um, I'm not the CEO of either. Okay. Uh, so uh, yeah, we should scratch that. Uh, I am um, the founder of uh, uh, Relatable, um, not CEO. So everybody, that was Aaron Levin, founder of Relatable.me. Uh, we'll put all the links to his LinkedIn. Uh, do you have a Twitter account as well? No? I, I, I do, Not but I, I don't use it. So LinkedIn okay. is, LinkedIn so is we'll gonna put, be the best place to connect. So we'll put the links to his website, uh, to his email address and the LinkedIn profile uh, in the blog post as well as show notes, of, show notes of the episode. Thank you so much, Aaron. It was such a pleasure talking to you and listening to all of your stories. Um, and the kind words in the end for Mailman really made my day. Thank you.